This is Reg Clay and Norman G. All right, and this is the A where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. And we have a special guest, Carly Hussey. How's it going? Hey. Pretty good. This is like a family reunion. It uh, is. <laughs> it very much. Yeah. Because uh, I swear, I think we met in line going to a show. 1991. 91. 1991, and that's when we were still like doing work with Thick. Yeah, Thick well, I did Thick for a while. For yeah. a while, yeah. You were you were like yeah you did some lead leading man stuff for them. Uh, barely, occasionally. Occasionally, we talked about Thick Description uh, last week. Yeah, because the Thick House, we end up we end up talking about Thick right. quite a bit. But um, yeah, ninety one. Ninety one was when yeah exactly mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I remember when the three of us drove, uh, you, me, and my cousin Cynthia drove to Carmel to catch Lewis Sims in Othello. Oh yes! <laughs> How long ago was that? That was that, that was the early nineties, early nineties, like ninety-two, yeah. ninety-three, somewhere wow. around then. Yeah. But what I remember is we were standing in line for like Crap's last tape or something like that at the yeah. old exit. Right. And we got into a great was, conversation. Yeah, was wow, Jack Halton. I know Jack Halton. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know the actor at all, but <sighs> I was curious about the show and curious about the space, mm-hmm. and you knew a lot, and we got to talking, and after that, I think. Yeah, we, we just, just stayed in touch. You, we stayed in touch. We it's just stayed in touch, and then, you know. I've and have gotten to work. Well, one of the things you don't know is yes. um, this summer I will be working at the Eugene O'Neill Dow House. Yay! I've, that's <laughs> been a while. Um, I'll be leading a youth program uh, doing playwriting and acting. Fantastic. Fantastic. About time they got back to you. I'm, that was one of my my all-time favorite theater experiences, was doing The Great God Brown at Dow House. And it was the hottest day of the year in Danville, and the place was packed. Yeah, in that barn. In, in that in barn. In Eugene O'Neill's barn. In Eugene O'Neill's barn. In the doing this play, The Great God Brown, and everybody stayed awake through the entire two and a half hours of the of the piece. Well, you did a brilliant job with the pacing of it. Well, and and we were lucky. Tammy Berlin, our, our costumer, who she's got a degree in directing, and she mm-hmm. came here, I believe, from Chicago mm-hmm. yeah. and someplace in the Midwest, and um, and ended up as a costumer. And it's so funny because you think of a costumer as somebody who comes in and just puts clothes on people. No, but. We the show Great God Brown requires masks. Yeah, it, the script requires we were it. About that, and yeah. she said because we were doing it as a glasses, reading, so right. there were scripts, in, and she said, "Let's use glasses. I can paint them gold. I can put stars on them for the military ones. I can." Yeah, and she did. It was it was it's brilliant. It was mm-hmm. brilliant. And I know Tammy Berlin uh, for Central Works. Well, and yeah. because of me. No, right? no, no. I um, I mentioned Central Works to her. I gave the number and I hooked it up. And she's done the same thing. She has such a brilliant aesthetic. It, it goes beyond design. She really understands how the structure of a play, how a play works. Mm-hmm. She, you know, anytime yeah, I get to work with her. her. In fact, yeah. now she's working with Playground. She oh, said, Norman, she? anytime you call me, I will come. And I was like, um... I'm not the producer, so I don't know what the money is on this, but I want you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you we go. did a crazy – I was doing a crazy play about the history of Anchor Steam and beer. Uh, the um, the um, – what do you call it? The um, uh, craft beer movement. Right. Okay. Which starts with Anchor Steam. And so we did that. So we did a bunch of quick things of voices talking about what beer is, what America knows beer to be like, say, 20 years ago, 
and what a bear, America knows beer to be now. Right. So there were a lot of commercial takes, and we did it with a plastic blonde wig, you know, very much an updo sort of, you know, right. 60s, right. 50s, 60s thing, and then a sort of faux plastic, faux um, Elvis wig. <laughs> and Soren Oliver was the guy, and <sighs> Kathleen Ridley was the woman, which means there's this black woman who kept throwing this blonde wig on and coming out. <laughs> wow. And then we got to do one moment as the play progressed. These are all short plays. As the play progressed and we get closer to now, um, the perky blonde that she was in earlier moments in the play, she's suddenly the old woman with the same hairstyle. <laughs> it was so funny. Wow. Now so, yeah, I'm still <coughs> spending time at the Thick House, which is now called the Potrero Stage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. And I get to rub elbows with Tammy. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. And I'll be at the Eugene O'Neill. I didn't even think about that. Yes, my life is cycling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, and yeah, that, 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 that was one of those happen, you know, just beautiful serendipity things where I was watching. Uh, they were Andrea Gordon directed, you know, some of uh, one of the some of the Eugene O'Neill one acts at the barn, and that's when I talked to the head of the O'Neill Foundation. I said. Have you guys uh, done the Great God Brown yet? And he said he hadn't seen the play in like twenty or so years. And that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to see if I can put people together here. I'm glad you did. <coughs> no, that was I mentioned it to people, and they're like, I don't know if I've read that one. I don't know if I've seen that one. I was like, No, you haven't seen it. <laughs> it's one of my yeah. It's one of my favorite plays, and it, it I got one of my you know early on in my acting career because I was trying to find monologues that nobody else was doing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I always do um, mm-hmm. is you know try to find things that nobody else is doing. And one of them uh, was this you – know, I read the – was reading all these O'Neill plays, and there was this particular monologue from The Great God Brown where, you know, the, the character Dion Anthony, he starts out with this mask, and the mask starts to come off, and he talks about his family. And then, you know, in that moment of vulnerability, he just – he throws the mask back on. Hmm. Wow. And, you know – yeah, it's um, it's also a little Dorian Gray. Um, we, uh, well, <coughs> the opposite of Dorian Gray. We see this character who starts off as this bright young architect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, who, as he gets into the business world and into politics and power, mm-hmm. um, becomes a bit of a megalomaniac, and his mask is supposed to reflect that as he goes through the show. It yeah. gets all twisted and and nasty. And gnarly, yeah. Wow. Amazing, and, it, and it's like the lead, the leading, uh, the, the the lead female character who marries the creative because there's the creative guy, and then there's the pure businessman bureaucrat guy, mm-hmm. uh, right? Uh, uh, Billy Brown, and the female uh, lead character. I can't remember her name, um, but it was yeah, Elizabeth Carter played one of my favorite lead actresses, mm-hmm. and. She um, she is in love with the guy's mask. She's not in love with the guy underneath the mask. Oh, that's right. She's she takes the mask by the guy off underneath, and, and she's and horrified so by, by, him. by by hmm. by his by his you know his bare soul under the mask. So he keeps the mask on for her, wow. and that also twists him. Yeah, you know, makes him you know. Wow, that's I, 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 hopefully it'll be brought back up again because it sounds fascinating. But yeah, I one of my all time favorite. Favorite parts of it one was of my just it was in that moment and because it was <coughs> a reading mm-hmm. that gave us a certain freedom, mm-hmm. which is a, a recurring theme as we talk about theater. For yeah. me, the limitations that situations may put on you 
can be wonderful creative opportunities. Yes. And that one was gorgeous. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. So, yeah, I'll be up there this summer. Fantastic. Man. Congratulations. So, so, Colin, you, I mean, you do so many different things. I mean, I know you, uh, all three of us, everyone should know that, you know, we work on uh, Richard Wright. Before the dream. I designed the, uh, the, uh, the poster. The poster. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But you're an actor. Uh, you're a bit of a playwright. I think you, you've written yeah, I've plays done, I've, before. I've, I, I've, no, I've written one 10-minute play this year. Mm -hmm. uh, there was something I submitted mm -hmm. to Pint Size because I was you know, looking at the Pint Size shows and going, hmm. Uh, they let, there's lots of complaints about uh, plays that don't pass the Bechdel test, so I'll yeah. write one that does. <laughs> and it's just uh, these two women who it's, it's like um, a realtor and a rocket scientist mm. who were classmates in college, teammates on a college team. And they get back together and catch up. Yeah. And the realtor has this crazy idea that she wants to, you know, wants to develop hotel suites in space. Mm. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and <laughs> the rocket scientist, of course, is like, space <coughs> is hard. Yeah. <laughs> and mm. uh, it was also inspired because I, I watched the um, – there's this <coughs> vidcast, um, this group called uh, Tomorrow, T-M-R-O, and they, they do space news hmm. every, every week, every, okay. like every weekend. Is this like a YouTube channel? Real yeah, space YouTube news? Yeah, yeah okay. real space news. These are people who work in the space industry doing space news. And <coughs> so what they do is, like, then their program, <coughs> which is roughly an hour long, mm -hmm. is structured as follows. The first part of it is, you know, the latest developments in the space industry and all the launches that went on the past week. Mm -hmm. And then the next segment is where one of the team interviews somebody else in the space industry nice. on what they're working on. Mm -hmm. And then the third segment is questions and comments by mm -hmm. uh, about last week's show yeah. by the viewers and the fans. And, you know, they're, they're a Patreon-supported operation. And they uh, – but, yeah, that, so that's where it got me into thinking about the vocabulary mm -hmm. of the rocket scientist. Yeah, and so that was the play <coughs> that, uh, that you wrote. Is, yeah, because you know, yeah. it's supposed to be set in a bar and they're supposed to finish off drinks. And right. So you got to set, but it's like, and I, I think I want to work on maybe another draft yeah. to get more of the tension mm -hmm. of you know what these girls were like mm -hmm. in college, where one of them was like the star player and the other was a bench warmer. Yeah, mm -hmm. and now you know there's some sort of like power dynamic where, because the one thing I did do is like the 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 rocket scientist wants an like an apartment or a condominium mm -hmm. or you know housing closer to her work in the South Bay. Right. You know, for, for her, you know, she's, she's like a designer of satellites. Mm -hmm. And she's also, uh, you know, she's, it, it's like there was a recent blow up at a, on a launch pad and like oh trying goodness. to figure out what, yeah. what's going on. But so, so you've done that. And also, I think you worked on the music, uh, you did some work at the Musical Cafe. Musical Cafe, yeah, I did some, yeah, I did some, uh, for, you know, and I do photography. I do event photography, real estate photography, production and performance photography. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> let's see, I, I photoed. Events, you know, and, and, and various – it's like it's interesting because I also get a taste of different political organizations. Right. Yeah. I've got – like I've got a Republican client and a Democratic client. Mm -hmm. um, I think and you were following Rand, Rand – um, Rand Paul Rand around Paul town around. Uh, three really? years ago in uh -huh. 2014 mm. when he got a standing ovation from the students at Cal Berkeley. Mm-hmm. When he said that, you know, what's on your cell phone is not anybody's, not the government's business. Right, yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah. And then, but, but he also gave a talk 
on <coughs> you know like the folly of the drug war, mm-hmm. and that you know he's working with uh, se- across the aisle with Senator Cory Booker, Cory Booker yeah. on criminal mm. justice reform. Mm-hmm. So there's this really interesting you know like side faction of the Republican Party right. that's consistently about limited government, right? You know, like the Ron Paul camp, right? And then you've got it, – it's like, well, nowadays, who knows what the hell you know, being a Republican is anymore. Yeah, we, you and I were talking about Well, I would about say any of it. Yeah, the, la- the labels almost don't, don't mean anything. Anymore. Or who knows what a Democrat is anymore. What, yeah. what, what are these things? Well, as they try to explain to us Americans <laughs> what is going on in Britain, they have to explain the political thing. So I posted something, and, uh, and a friend jumped on immediately to explain to me that – you don't understand. It's a little more complex there because I was saying Theresa May is is declaring victory, and I'm like, I think that's a really interesting that she's declaring victory. And he said, Well, the way that system works, as long as they make coalitions, mm-hmm. they can claim a majority. Right. And I don't have any problem with that concept. That concept totally makes sense to me. But the fact is. She had more people before the election than Mm -hmm. she has now. They lost numbers. So how do you claim a win when you might be the majority? That's exactly. politics. No, everybody, nobody wants to. Nobody wants to admit defeat in politics. Well, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it reminds me of Donald Trump. Like Donald Trump right now is claiming, you know, vindication right. over the um, or the Comey. The, the Comey hearings, and I'm not paying is, attention to any of that because it's like I've, I watched the, the what the Iran Contra hearings 30 years ago. Right. Yeah, that's right. And it's like and and, and nothing really. Came. It was all sound Thank and fury you. signifying nothing. Thank yeah. you. And that's what the Comey hearings are. It's all sound. That's and, that's exactly what I thought of. You know, big picture issues are war and peace and centralized authority versus mm. individual autonomy. Right. And all of this is a dumb show. Right. It's 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 nothing. It's well, like it's I'm ego. It's ego. It's right. a, it's the battle of egos. Mm-hmm. Right. But I just I was like, no, I totally understand that. And after a couple of exchanges, the guy kind of went, "Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're on the same page." I'm like, yeah, I know we're on the same page. I want the rest of America to get on that page. Because as long as we keep talking black and white, Republican and Democrat, we are going to have trouble getting anywhere. What's going to happen is the next flash in the mm-hmm. pan is going to pop up at the right moment, and that's how we're going to move forward. It's Unless become, it, we really get yeah. some grassroots local stuff going. It's, it's well, like, yeah, what, well what it is is that, yeah, I mean, that you, you can pretty much detach that from the reality of what you – because in the meantime, life still goes on. Right. Right. And – it, it, the miraculous thing is, in spite of everything, in spite of all that has happened in human history, all of us here, you know, no matter what our, our, our economic situation is right now, mm-hmm. we're enjoying a better standard of living than yeah. Henry VIII. You're absolutely right. right. <laughs> You're absolutely no, I know. Right. I would love Americans to understand that as well. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, and if it, we it, could look at the globe in, with that sense mm-hmm. and go – what do I have versus that person who is living on six dollars a month, mm-hmm. yeah. someplace? Yeah. Well, also, what do I have, in, you know, versus what the richest people in the 18th century had? Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. the richest people in the Middle Ages had. Right. Uh, we were uh, Reg and I before the show. We were talking about. I was talking about the richest man of all time, and it was Mansa Musa. The uh, he was the third emperor of the Mali Empire. 
in mm -hmm. the 13th or the 14th century. Mm -hmm. The Mali Empire was founded in the 13th century. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, he built up this, this incredible empire of gold um, trading across all these places. Mm -hmm. And uh, but yeah, we we enjoy a better standard of living than that guy. Yeah, and one of the issues is the more you have, the more you want, and so we buy and consume. I mean, people are paying, especially here in the Bay Area, you know, two thousand, three thousand, four thousand dollars a month for rent or what have you. Seventeen eighty-five is the going rate for a studio. Right, right, exactly. Oh. And so we may have a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money. I remember working at Forbes magazine immediately coming out of college. Oh, right. And they had the richest billionaires, and there was a guy named Tsutsumi from Japan mm -hmm. who's supposed to be like, you know, billionaire, but because it cost so much to rent out his, I don't know, condo or whatever it was, he could never spend anything. He didn't have any, uh, what do you call it, uh, capital or yeah, – He didn't have any liquid. He didn't exactly. have a, the, the, He didn't have a lot of liquid assets because right. that's the other thing is what people don't understand is that um, – like, for example, yeah, I buy stuff – I, I try to make a big purchase every year that's tax-deductible in terms mm -hmm. of photo upgrades. Uh -huh. So, for example, last year my big photo upgrade was to get a Nikon D7100 mm -hmm. um, camera yeah, body, those, yeah. and which is what I have. And now I have two cameras. I've got, a, I've got two Nikons, a D7000 and a D7100. And uh, one that I – because that way I don't have to switch lenses because that's annoying. Yeah. Because you, you've got to, like – you know, right. Uh, make sure there's no dust in right. the body. Yeah. Because that will wind up on the capture element. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you've got extra work in post production. You got to you know take these little specks out of your right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of your picture. And uh, so now I've got you know so my my newer camera body has my all purpose eighteen to three hundred millimeter lens and my. Uh, my somewhat older camera body has, has the super wide length. You still work with film, right? Actual film? No. No. No, okay. no, no. <laughs> oh, no. I never quite, I, I, I mean. I thought you, I took you as a purist. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, that's the thing. It's like that, that, that there's another beauty of the digital age is that it enables, mm -hmm. you know, people of limited income to actually make a living. Sure, sure. As you know, because because before, I mean, you had to you know, spend so much money on film, and yeah, you know, so much money on. Um, then there's time in the dark room if you want to be, you know, really get mm -hmm. those photos the way you want them yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that means you know, spending money on paper, spending money on chemicals, spending right. money on dark room time. And nowadays, it's like, yeah, I can just load all these photos into Photoshop. Right. Exactly. Or um, I think the the latest application is Lightroom. Yeah. Right. And uh, and you know something I eventually want to get. But yeah, I mean, I can hold. You know, I could put so much. And not only that, I can record video with this thing. Right. Yeah. So I can do like self taped auditions. He's and mm -hmm. he's uh, showing us the Nikon. He, he, it's he, a we big. We're talking about self taped auditions. <laughs> right. Oh Lord. Yeah. <laughs> and so. Uh, so yeah, and then then I've uh, yeah, because it, it's yeah. like because this digital day and age enables more DIY. Yeah, do it yourself. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, narrating audio books or, mm -hmm. or like uh, I, I did a I did a cartoon project. I, I voiced a couple of voices for an animation 
by this young Brit, this guy, this young, I guess he's based in London or somewhere in Britain. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, he was working on, this 20-something kid was working on a 2011 Dell laptop in Cinema 4D. Mm-hmm. And then this hugely ambitious, like, alien-based uh, fan tune, mm-hmm. 3D animated. Mm-hmm. And it was a sequel to something he did two years ago that I watched that got, like, half a million views mm-hmm. on YouTube. But he didn't like the voices. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I'm happy to help you with that. Yeah. And so two years later, he gets in touch with me, and I record a couple of the characters for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, this ship's commander in... in that has a two-minute scene near the beginning of the mm-hmm. of the uh, of the story, and then a jocular grunt on the ground uh, mm-hmm. in the remainder of the story. You know, one of those guys has a voice like this. <laughs> I know I can do the gravel voice, and it doesn't hurt my throat. It's yeah. a bizarre oh, nice. thing. Nice. And uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just like you know, we 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 never like talked on the phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's just yeah, I I got his email. I sent him my recording. He mm-hmm. Um, and then, then saw this, and it's like, wow, I'm very impressed. This kid's, you know. Yeah. And then you've got just just a plethora of animation and games on Newgrounds. Mm-hmm. And so I've started to do some, you know, reach out to them. Because yeah. mm-hmm. I've got, a, I've got a, a, a profile on Newgrounds with my voiceover demo. And, you know, there's some fantastic material. And... Um, and uh, yeah, we're living in a golden age of, of television and of, of, of you know on-screen entertainment mm-hmm. and, and media. <coughs> you know, we were talking about YouTube. I mean, you know, people have YouTube channels and even you know podcasting. I mean, there's so many avenues and venues of just getting yourself out. And as an as an actor, you're talking about voice acting. A good friend of mine, Gene Mossy, who um, we'll hopefully we'll have on as a guest. He's also as well as a <coughs> as an actor and a uh, a writer. He uh, designs video games, and so I got to do some video acting, um, acting, voice acting. Oh, I want to be know this guy. I want yeah. to yeah, exactly. give him my demo. <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, but that was a question I wanted to ask you um, because we were talking about actors who do other things and yeah. use their talents in other venues, and it sounds like you've done that. Well, that's what I have to do. It's just like a, it, it's one of those things. Is like, okay, if I'm not casting something, I'm willing to photograph it. Right. Yeah. And or willing or or design the poster for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you do headshots, right? Don't yeah, you? I do headshots. Yeah. yeah. There you go. I did my own headshot. Yeah. yeah I got the, I got my little remote uh, my remote yeah. shutter button and uh, I got my mm-hmm. little portable studio lighting. I've got you know my soft boxes and everything. Uh-huh. So actors out there, you uh, you know just hit us up and you know if you need Colin Hussey to uh, do f- uh, photos for you, headshots or design a or design a postcard or uh, or or you know shoot your show. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, recently did the. Um, publicity photos for Wits End, which was uh, a Claudia Barr play. Claudia Barr was somebody I've known for many years. Um, wrote a play about Dorothy Parker, Harpo Marx, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, nice. and uh, Alan Campbell and mm-hmm. uh, Alexander Wolcott. With uh, and and she played Dorothy Parker and yeah she looks like Dorothy Parker. Yeah. Mm. Was and that was that a famous model in the sixties? Dorothy no, Parker? No, 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 no. she was writer. an acerbic writer from the Algonquin oh. Round oh. Table. Yes, the Round Table. Yeah, okay, got it. And uh, and then yeah, Derek Much was Harpo Marx. Oh, perfect, freaking perfect as Harpo Marx. Wow, wow. <laughs> Absolutely, in terms of his look, in terms of his voice, uh-huh. he, he 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 was the character. Amazing, and uh, yeah. so yeah, the best thing I'd seen him do. It's just really, yeah. really excellent. How and did, how did, uh, if you don't mind me asking, how did you get into? How did you 
what was the uh, when did you get bit by the acting bug or the theater bug? Um, was it when you were a kid? I mean, yeah, it was. It, well, well, it, it 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 took a while. I mean, I my mom was you know had studied theater at Cal. Wow. All right. And when I first learned how to read, mm-hmm. the interesting thing is, like in first grade, they had you know kids you know, taking turns reading aloud. Yeah. And they seldom ever picked me, which annoyed the hell out of me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Because I would listen to these kids reading, and they were all reading robotically. Right. In this kind of deadpan. Da 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 da. And I'm like, and, and for me, as soon as I learned how to read, like. The, the characters and the voices mm-hmm. leapt out at me. Interesting. So yeah. acting was kind of like a pathology. I didn't really believe in it. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. like doing all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But I finally, uh, finally in <coughs> high school, uh, went out for a production of Guys and Dolls in all my right. senior year, mm-hmm. and then kept on acting on you know while I was a music major in college. Awesome. I was a bass player. And I uh, didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, I read music and I perfect pitch. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then I did know that. He did know that, uh-huh. and then uh, then after that, um, when uh, I didn't uh, have the means of transportation to get my base all over the place, mm-hmm. um, I went more and more into acting, and uh, and so yeah, in the '90s I started uh, me when I moved to San Francisco. Um, I tried hitting the ground running and was you know acting in a bunch of plays, and mm-hmm. it was on a on a bit of a streak. And then, but yeah, it's kind of been on and off again. And it's like you know, then now I'm in a point in my life where I've never been more confident in what I'm doing. But awesome. back then, yeah. you know, it's like I, 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 of course I had talent, but mm-hmm. I didn't have the confidence. Sure. Did you uh, ever go to school? Did you have any techniques or whatever, or you just sort of jump right in? Um, well, I started by jumping in, but I, I did the summer training congress at ACT. Okay. In uh, nineteen. 87? It was 87 or 88. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that got me started, you know, give me like some kind of formal acting training, including stage combat and singing mm-hmm. and dancing and yeah, and, and learning some Stanislavski and stuff like that. But Stanislavski really didn't, you know, it's like I think too much anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> what really, actually what really helped me was the David Mamet <coughs> book, True and False, mm. where he said there is no character, it's just lines on the page. You have to worry about and what you're doing as the actor is creating the illusion of a character, you know, based on the givens in the script. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that that popped into my mind is like, whatever the hell you're thinking about, don't worry about it. Just as long as you deliver your lines honestly. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I was trying to force myself to think things. Right. And that doesn't work for me because I think too much. It's funny because you say that, and I think I love comics mm-hmm. and. Um, there's a wonderful book about comics called Understanding Comics, uh-huh. and it's a gorgeous book. And he w- created a little narrator character icon, and he talks to you throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he's trying to get you to understand how you, the reader, fill out that world. You create that world. Mm-hmm. The, all the artist is doing is giving you something to focus on, and then you build the world out. He said, for example, and he was talking about the frame, how, you know, how the frame works. And he says, for example, you can't see my legs right now, even though they're there. And then there's a silent box Mm -hmm. panel. And then the next panel, he says, except they're not. 
and then there's another sign-up panel, uh-huh. and he says, do you get where I'm going with this? And it was brilliant, because I was like, I'm reading along going, yeah, 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 of course your legs are there because you're a figure, so therefore your legs are there. But no, this is like a headshot. This is this three-quarter picture of you. Mm-hmm. It does not show any legs, and it's a drawing. It's not a picture. It's not a representation. It's a representation. It is not a mm-hmm. capture of anything real. Mm-hmm. You, the reader, fill in that that whole figure is there, even though you only see that much. So I love the, you know some of the some of the you know the tricks that you know as comics progress about like you know characters reaching across a frame right. into another frame. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you know, Jack Kirby. Outside, yeah. yeah, Jack Kirby. What was that? It reminds me of uh, I think it was in the 1920s or the tens where someone uh, drew a pipe. And, and it was like, this is not a pipe. Yeah, that was Renee Magritte. Magritte. Yeah. Yeah. It was Renee Magritte, yes. Basically saying this is an image. You know, mm-hmm. you, your mind may say this is one thing, but realize this is an image. Right. Yeah, well, that's – I remember in college um, being caught by – I remember in college being caught by um, – I took a uh, – it was pretty much a graduate-level journalism course, and they were – we were talking about uh, things like semiotics, mm-hmm. you know, the, the breaking down of language and symbolism. Mm-hmm. And the teacher said, so there's a word that we, we created all words. Words mm-hmm. are a human invention. Mm-hmm. There's a word, and it means that thing that's outside that grows out of the ground, and it's big, and it's wooden. All of these are words, so all of these are impressions. And we call it a tree, but what is a tree? And by the end of that day, that class, that lecture, I was just like, I hate you. <laughs> because now I can't go out and enjoy a tree anymore because I'm yeah. like, is it, does it include everything above? Does it include how it reaches up in the sky? Well, we all say yes. Mm-hmm. Does it include how it reaches down into the ground? Well, what's the edge of the tree? When's the end of the tree? And I was like, well, before that I was like, you know, there's a tree. It's a tree. <laughs> and Watch the roots that tree. are separate. Yeah. yeah. But no, 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 the roots are part of it. Well, okay, yeah, the roots are p- – but that's not a tree. Roots are roots. Roots are – and by the end of it, I hated him. <laughs> and I hated this exploration of language because I'm like, you are messing with my head. Have you ever – it reminds me so much of – you ever focused on a word and the word loses its meaning? School. School is that word for me because yeah. when you look at it on the page, it can very quickly not mean anything. S-C-H-O-O-L – if you keep staring at it, suddenly it just becomes meaningless. Yeah. And you can do that, I guess, with almost any word. Yeah, yeah. And in, the, in any language, I would assume. Well, and then the onomatopoeia, those words uh-huh. um, work for us so that you can hear how the French say that a, a chicken crows, and you go, okay, I understand, or a cat meows. And you understand it because we know what that sound is and we realize we've translated it one way, but they translated it a different way. Those words work, but when you get into the headier words, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, that, that's it's like, uh, well, English is a, is a crazy language anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's this interesting polyglot of uh, from different, you know, different, you know, different origins of, of all around. Right. And then when you start digging into those. Um, so part of the lesson, the playwriting program that I'm doing right now, one of the things we do is we teach them how to write a monologue. Mm-hmm. And you have to say mono from the Greek. Mono. Yeah. 
mono means one. Logos, which is actually from the <coughs> Latin, right? Which means tongue, which means speaking, one person speaking. And every time he does that lesson, I'm like, we're talking to a bunch of si- sixteen-year-olds locked up and in a freaking you know room. <laughs> and, and here we are telling him about a word that's in English, monologue, and talking about the roots that go back to stuff that they probably barely heard of. Nor even care at this point, given their situation. (laughs) But it's a wonderful way to say we are reaching back thousands of years to give you knowledge and information. And that's that's where language lives, is in that place where we're giving you knowledge and information, but we're going to purposely, I mean in theater, we're going to purposely mangle it or reshape it so that you stop or you're caught or you're repulsed or you're in love because of the way we use language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I find? God, it reminds me of that, that line in, in uh, what is it, the, the, uh, the, the, the Incredibles of monologuing. You know, the villains who monologue. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like they, those people knew, they knew <laughs> comics so right. well because mm-hmm. it's such a staple of comics <laughs> and it's been commented on for like at least 20 years now yeah, that the villain <laughs> needs to yeah, tell you everything <laughs> that they're going to do and why they're going to do yeah. it. Sort of like Iago and, you know, Fellow, yes, where he just yes. speaks to the audience. What I was going to say is, brilliant. Uh, last, I think it was last, the latter part of last year, I took a class at the Berkeley Rep for playwriting. Oh, cool. And as we're talking about languages, it reminds me so much of rhythm uh, mm-hmm. and the importance of, like, I know that I like to write in a rhythm. I like to write in a particular style. It reminds me so much of, um, who's the guy that wrote Glengarry Glen Ross? Is that David Mamet. David Mamet. Mamet. Yeah. And Mamet has a rhythm. Yeah. And yes. it, it's it's it, it's almost like it fits to a T, you know, for the for the actor who can get into uh, the rhythm. Mm-hmm. I guess as 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 um have you ever had a play this is for the both of you mm-hmm. where there are some plays where as an actor when I remember at Memorization is easy because yeah. the rhythm is right there, the yeah. language is right there, yeah. it's right on the tip of my tongue. And then there are some places like, oh my God, yeah. right? Oh yeah, that word. Why? Why are they using that word? And it's like, it's such a struggle. Have you ever had that before? Yes, Constantly. yes. Well, also, also in like you know narrating audiobooks, mm-hmm. uh, right. where, where some things are just yeah easily roll off the tongue, and other things where you need several takes to you know to make it sound smooth. Yet, yet another skill that Colin <coughs> has. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing. Uh, yeah, because I've got. Well, th- that's like I don't have nearly the, the the beautiful audio setup that Reg has here in his his place. Oh, <laughs> but I have. Uh, but I have a. Uh, but I have a nice. You know, d- I have a, like a Audio Technica. I've seen your setup. Yeah, and then and so yeah, I've been I've been working on a on a novella by my late sister, mm-hmm. oh. uh, the lover of Lord Adros, mm-hmm. and uh, we're hoping to get it. Um, Hoping I, I I'm on the last. Se- I'm going to be recording and editing the last segment this Sunday because that's you know it's like Sunday morning is quiet. Mm-hmm. There's no construction right. noise outside. There's none none of this crap going on with the building at California Pacific Medical Center or the road work that's going on or any of that. And after that, it's like the final review of the mm-hmm. entire story and then, uh, you know, like the fine editing and whatever I need to do to get it, you know, to the standard of ACX, the uh, mm-hmm. Amazon platform. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then I will get it to them and uh, get it up on, um, you know, get it up on Amazon. And also that helps, like, it cements things because that it makes me, 
it, it, it makes it more. E- it makes it easier for me to pitch it to people in terms right. of. of course. Yeah, because because this is a kind of story that could be a ballet, it could be a movie, and mm-hmm. it's it's. My sister came up with this in, this character, who is under a curse, and her curse is that she is a sword by day, a woman or a sword by night, but when the sun goes up, sh- you know she's ah, forced into being a sword. Yeah. And the reason why she she got this curse is that she wanted to – her brother was being cursed by uh, by this sorcerer priest who uh, – the, the, the brother had rebuffed this man's advances mm. and hit him with a sword. Mm. And the guy in his dying breath says, okay, I'm, you love swords so much, I'm going to make you a sword. Yeah. So the brother's a sword 24-7. The sister's a sword by day and a woman by night. Yeah. And in – there's two other stories that she wrote where we learn how the curse gets broken, where it's like somebody wielding her has to defeat somebody wielding her brother in single combat. Ah, interesting. Um, is this your younger or older, older sister? sister? Older okay. sister. Okay. Yeah, she she died 11 years ago on my birthday. Really? Oh, what a shame. So, yeah, she was she was an incredibly uh, talented writer, um, but yeah, she was one of these people who was interested in everything. Mm-hmm. According to – a close friend of mine noted that. She was interested in nearly everything, but she would focus on one thing for a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then move on to something else. Yeah. Now, 11 years ago, that's 2006. Yes. Okay. Because my, my uh, biological mother passed away in 2006. Oh, so okay. Yeah, so. I remember your sister. Yes. Yeah. She, and, uh, yeah, she was a very straight-ahead person, and yeah. uh, every one of her stories – yeah, because she she wrote fantasy and science fiction, and uh, her, her every one of her stories opens with an action sentence. Wow! Because she she didn't have a lot of patience for like a lot of exposition, so <coughs> she would weave in the exposition. Sounds a lot like me. You know, they say novelists write about what people think, um, screenwriters write about what people do, and playwrights write what people say. Right. And playwright, I, I guess, poets write what people feel. Hmm. Oh, that's, that's a good, yeah. That's, that's, that's a, a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, putting it. And then, then in the meantime, and then, then writing-wise, I've been working on a treatment for um, this book that I happen on Amazon, and I was inspired by a few things. Uh, read this. Everybody should read this. Sundiata, an epic of old Mali. Hmm. And it's about the rise of Sundiata Keita, who uh, was the uh, – the, this, this is the fairy tale telling of it, where mm-hmm. he's – like having to defeat a sorcerer king, mm-hmm. um, where you know classic hero's journey, where a guy overcomes early problems, uh, gathers allies, defeats the forces of evil, and lives happily ever after. And there's archery and cavalry and sorcery, and uh, the evil villain mm-hmm. lives in a big seven-story tower. Mm-hmm. And it's based on a real story. Right? And it, it also, yeah, it's, there, there was a real Sundiata Keita, a, right, a real figure in history, founded yeah. the, the Mali Empire in the 13th century. And I learned about him. An interesting side. Thing. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing this exchange between Michael Moore and John Stossel mm. about some issue. I think it was healthcare. And Michael Moore says to Stossel at one point, he says, he says "Are you just so 13th century? I love it." And I'm thinking, well, what the hell's wrong with the 13th century? And there's a lot of interesting, cool stuff. And because I think of history in a global sense, it's right. like. Uh, not only am I thinking about what's going on in Europe, right. I'm thinking about what's going on in Asia. I'm thinking about what's going on in Mesoamerica. And I'm thinking sure. what's going on in Africa. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. 
And <clears throat> so what's going on in Europe, of course, we've got King John signing the Magna Carta. Mm -hmm. We've got the birth of Dante Alighieri. We've got a, the, the development of the Ars Nova of polyphony in music. Mm -hmm. In, in, you know, because the, and then, then like all these interesting instruments coming across yeah. from due to the Crusades. Yeah. In Asia, you have the rise of the Mongolian Empire. Mm -hmm. You have in Mesoamerica. I don't know if it was the Toltecs or the Olmecs that overthrew the Toltecs, but there was you know the rise of another of another kingdom or empire in mm -hmm. that part of the world. Mm -hmm. um, apparently, Cambodia had a golden age, the Kingdom of Cambodia. And in the 13th century was the founding of the Mali Empire under Sundiata Keita, mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, and and so that and, and from there, I got interested in like the music of Mali because there was this terrorist takeover of Timbuktu in like 2012, 2013, and mm -hmm. then they were eventually thrown out by the uh, French combined French and Malian forces. Mm. But there's still some unrest going on up in the north. But uh, but interesting, the badass librarians of Timbuktu managed to save ninety percent of the manuscripts of the Timbuktu library. Mm. They s managed to buy all these like uh, these crates mm -hmm. from from like the open markets because the, it's it's like you know um, you can buy or sell nearly anything in these places, mm -hmm. and they smuggled these manuscripts down the Niger River to the capital city of Bamako, where they got scanned in. And so there's this incredible source material of life in the Sahel from the 13th century to the 19th century mm -hmm. that nobody, few people know anything about. But it's like this is source material for some real epic freaking movies. Mm -hmm. And I got to think, of some, and I'm just throwing this out there because I don't know what to do with it. Right. I'm just a white guy living in an apartment for, you know, for 28 years. What do I know about, you know, <laughs> the logistics in San of, Francisco. You know, yeah. of, 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 like, you know, shooting big medieval epics in, 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 in that part of the world. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking I mean, if they could get to a point of where they're shooting big medieval epics in that part of the world, they can outbid the warlords. They can outbid right. mm -hmm. all these other, other elements for the services mm -hmm. of the youth. Right. Mm -hmm. To you know, to be you know, crew or cast or supernumeraries in this mm -hmm. movie, and you do these medieval reenactments, right? Instead of actually fighting each other in real time with modern weapons, right? Mm -hmm. Let's you know, let's let's go back and you know, to to the origins of some of these you know rivalries mm -hmm. and such. Mm -hmm. And you and I were talking about how you were also motivated by. I think you were watching something on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. There was. Um, Someone has a YouTube channel on some. What was it, it a documentary? Yeah, documentaries. There, there's there, there's so many documentaries that you can watch on YouTube. Yeah. And so I got interested in the rise and fall of empires and the rise and fall mm -hmm. of their, and yeah. and what the hell happened with you know. Right. How the hell mm -hmm. does do 170 Spaniards defeat 7,000 Incas? Yeah, right. It's amazing. Right. And part of it was that they developed this fatalistic system of, of, of belief. Right. Based on their astronomy. Right. Mm -hmm. And figured, well, the kingdom's going to be, because even the they Spaniards. They thought it was destiny, yes. Yeah, the, the, the Spaniards themselves, they're going, you know, because they're, they're going up to Cuzco. Right. And nobody's giving them any resistance. Nobody's right. putting up any fight. And they're like, 
because you know, if they're trying to pull we this must shit, be superior. <laughs> so you know, it's like if, it's like we try to pull this shit on France. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, <exactly>. You know, <laughs> it should be like you know dragoons and mm-hmm. everything. And so they 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 and, and it's like these guys and then they don't have you know it's like they don't it's like they don't have machine guns. Right. It's yeah. like the most advanced weapons they have are musket you know muzzle loading muskets and pistols where it mm-hmm. takes a lot of time to sure. get everything set up right, right. To, exactly. to, to fire a volley. But I was going to ask you uh, <coughs> regarding YouTube, um, have you ever thought about that as a uh, – like starting up a YouTube channel? I do have a YouTube channel. You do? Oh. Yeah, and I, so, so I do have some footage of you know some stuff that I've done and oh, awesome. uh, uh, some stuff that I've shot. I've, I recently shot a bunch of uh, like this dance uh, crew – yeah. That started performing on a on what's, a what's on your a channel called? It's it's just you know Colin Colin, you know, Huss. Colin Hussey Colin you know. Hussey okay, and uh, so it's you know it's just and and like yeah I was I was coming home from a performance of Shots over at the flight deck in Oakland, mm-hmm. and wait Shots was at the flight deck? Yes, last month. What happened to piano fight? I guess they're going to be doing it there. Uh, I mean, I guess they're like rotating. Wow, that's so, big. Yeah. So, so no, Shots is a wonderful um, organization that does uh, short plays, mm-hmm. and they bring together a crew of people. Uh, technically, they're just developing pieces. That they're readings, technically. Well, this um, wasn't a reading. I had to memorize. No, no, no. I, I, I've seen that as well. Um, and, yeah, they're creating these new pieces, a bunch of shorts, and they throw them together. Shots was originally started in New York, mm-hmm. and then some of the folks moved out here. And okay. it's so funny because Mario Gonzalez was an actor here who's moved to New York, and now he's doing shots <laughs> no, in okay. New York, you know, which is wonderful. But it's they've been doing a piano fight in San Francisco, which is a wonderful venue. Uh-huh, yes. If they're taking advantage of Flight Deck over here in Oakland, yeah. that is incredible. Oakland just Sweet. becomes more and more vibrant. And, awesome. And, and uh, yeah, it's like sh- – so so you come home from shots, I'm, you know, hop on the bar train, mm-hmm. and this dance crew performs uh, – you know, does, does gives a performance in the bar train. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've, I think I may have seen some and of those. And so, so I, yeah, I shot, I shot it with my, uh, with my camera because I happen to have my camera on. Right, it. yeah. And uh, so I have that on my YouTube channel. I have a, f- a few other things on on the channel, and then uh, then I you know then then I watch a bunch of stuff. It's like so it's 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 like it, the, we we're living in a golden age of, of information, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And when you said golden age earlier, you said golden age of TV, and I was like, no, 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 there there is a golden age of TV. But you're right, we're in a golden age. We're in this era. I've been calling it the wild wild west. Yeah. But what it is is a fervent. It's uh, fertile. It's uh-huh. it's a it's a period where a lot of things are happening. A lot of new things are growing. There, it's like a compost heap where there are things that are growing and dying, but there are other things that are actually taking root right. and building. Exactly. And it's kind of gorgeous to be able well, to pay I mean, attention I've, I've, to that. I, I didn't know. I didn't know anything about medieval Africa mm-hmm. until the digital age. Mm-hmm. Until yeah. the internet, yeah. I mean, or I knew. I knew one thing. It was like because when I went to St. Teresa's School in Oakland, I learned they, they, there was like in, in our history book after mm-hmm. the fall of Rome, yeah. They, they devoted a brief segment to the Ghanaian Empire, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then went on to the Middle Ages in Europe. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that's unfortunately how. I mean, I, I'm in the same boat. I had asked my teacher, my uh, high school or junior high school teacher. I was like, listen. 
I know that there was a re the Reconstruction era, uh, you know, where, and I know that there was the 13th Amendment, and and blacks were, you know, there was some the Freedmen's Bureau. Mm -hmm. Well, what happened? I mean, you know, we jump from here to 1960 and Martin Luther King. What happened in between? You know, why didn't and the teacher was like, listen, that's not part of the curriculum, okay? I'm trying to teach, and, you know, I didn't well, get to hell with that, you know? <laughs> it's like, no, well, that's why you got to, it's like there's a difference between schooling and education. Unfortunately, yes, <clears throat> unfortunately. And, of course, I didn't learn any of this other stuff that I was really, really interested in. Like, hey, fill in the blanks until much later, you know, with the Internet, and now you can jump on YouTube. And, 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 and learn about all this stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, the Mali Empire and, and, and like, for example, and the, and the here, here's an amazing story. So, yeah, Sundi Adikata, and I'm, I'm, like, throwing this out there. Guys, start thinking about that. Mm. Anybody who's a creative person, who's a writer, who wants to expand history, mm. because the Middle Ages is an interesting period. The 13th century, as I was mentioning to Reg prior to the show, is a time when nearly every major realm on every continent of the world were roughly on the same footing technologically and economically hmm. and, you know, and the same goes for you know, like I said the Sahel region of Africa where there was written word there was you know Timbuktu was like the center of right. scholarship mm -hmm. and um, and there, there were some fascinating stories I read about one of Sundi Adikata's successors Mansa Sakura and he started out life as a slave Mm -hmm. Came up through the military. When there was a power vacuum, you know, took over as emperor of Mali, mm -hmm. and then got assassinated in Somalia on his return trip from the Hajj. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, fascinating story. I mean, that that that's, that that would be a good you know movie you know subject. But as we as we talk about these things and <coughs> and these things being a variety a wide variety of subjects. The word that keeps coming to my brain is renaissance man. Yeah. And it's one of those labels that gets put on people. Um, what does it mean to be that kind of person now? I know you are incredibly well read. I've, I've, I've seen your shelves. <laughs> <coughs> and it's funny because maybe there was a time where that like translated easily into some sort of financial standing – um, but I also know that you live, you know, just off of Geary, and good God, that area must be going through major changes right now. Yeah, the, well, the, the, there's, it's like there's um, more, you know, places, you know, cool places to eat mm -hmm. on the on the block. But at the same time, it's like there's also behind the building in Cedar Alley, there's been like. Yeah, for a while, there was a homeless settlement. Mm -hmm. yeah, there was a there were tent settlements, and there was this very unpleasant couple. And I'd hear them screaming and shouting mm -hmm. at each other, even in the mm -hmm. wee small. I got to like shooting footage of you know the, <laughs> to show oh, to, wow. the, to the lower polk uh, <laughs> the, the lower polk uh, the, the community benefit district yeah. director yeah. Mm -hmm. to say here here's what we're dealing with right. in the wee small hours of the morning. And eventually, it's like they went away or they were forced to move. Mm -hmm. But they're they're being replaced by another group. But it, it's it's like, you know, yeah. It, it gets it, it does get it does get frustrating, and it's frustrating for for. So you've got that contrast. But you don't lose your focus, and that's that's I guess what I'm trying to get at is there's a way when we talk about artists because as a teacher, uh -huh. 
my bottom line as a teacher is that everybody has this this need for expression and this facility for mm-hmm. some form of expression. I think everybody has it. But the fact is we reach a certain age. At a certain age, we feel our power and we're willing to try and do anything, mm-hmm. attempt anything. We get past that age, and then I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it. People start peeling off. I need more stability. I need something else. I'm not getting the satisfaction. Well, I do need more stability. I would like to make more of a nut. But right. <laughs> but, but, but it doesn't stop you from continuing what you're doing. But we see those people who go, I'm let that go. I'm going to go do something else. And I think it is maybe Renaissance Man encompasses that person who says, I can never let that go. It's part of who I am. Yeah. Well, you never stop learning. And right. I, 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 I cannot – I can't shut off the curiosity right. for me about, okay, what, the, what, what, what is this? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. Wow. Um, right, and starvation isn't enough to make you go, I'm not curious anymore. You're like, I need to deal with this pers- – this immediate specific. issue, right? But, <coughs> but I'm still curious, right? Exactly, exactly. And I still have that need to express. Not just express. You work with a lot of people across. Are you still working with uh, Play Cat? Not Play Cafe. Um, what's the one in San Francisco? The one that was out at the uh, Bear. Oh, Bear. oh, no, Playwright Center. Yeah, Playwright yeah. Center. No, I did. A, I did a reading for them about a month ago. Yeah, I did a couple of readings for for them last month. So you've been I'm designing with that level of creativity. You've You've but at the same time, I'm like on. I've always been on the periphery. I've never been like, never been in like a theatrical in group like uh, like the Berkeley Rep or Cal or, or um, Z Space or anything uh, like that. No, I've never. Yeah. I've I've always been kind of on the on the periphery of things. I've never. That's the thing. It's like I'm, I can fit in with any you know particular group of people, mm-hmm. but I've never been of that. You know, you know, there may be an advantage of that. I mean, I, I think about my experience with EastEnders. I said, wow, there's a group, and, you know, e- I worked, I acted with EastEnders, and they were like, hey, be a part of EastEnders, and we want you to be a member. And I was a member, and I found myself, there are advantages of being a member of a, of mm-hmm. a group. And then there are disadvantages because I can't be the hired gun anymore because now right. I'm locked in. It's almost like being right. a part yeah. of a company. And I like being the hired gun. Number one, if you're a member of a company, you don't get paid. Right. <laughs> well, depending on the company. Depending right. on the company. I mean, a lot of companies. A lot of companies. Especially a lot of companies. Out, right. Um, that's it. And a lot, sometimes that's why they want you to be a member. <laughs> it um, is. Well, because somebody has a vision, but they don't know how to finance that vision. Right. So they sell you on the vision and they get you in. Right. And then you're, yeah, you're, you're dedicated to a point. And right. But, uh, yeah, because that's the thing. I've never been part of any in-group. No, well, not even as but a little I kid. think those moments are amazing moments because mm-hmm. we talked about Mamet earlier. Yeah. And one of the things, um, Joe Mantegna, mm-hmm. the actor, yeah, who came up through Mamet. So as Mamet was rising, Mantegna was rising, uh-huh. and at a certain point had such a national presence mm-hmm. that he was able to turn that into film. I mean, you get that with uh, what's his name too, Malkovich. Right. Um, yeah, they're they're and Gary Sinise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get these actors who are stage actors, but they've worked. They've been able to make the collective mm-hmm. energy, that collective model, work to a point where they can build and refine their skills, get it at that level where they can pop to the next level. Yeah. And for every one of them, there are 
I would say at least dozens. I think dozens is a conservative. I'll never forget uh, Benson, the show um, Robert Guillaume. Guillaume, yeah, that's right. Um, th- um, what's his name? Um, Rene. Um, uh, Ab- Abergeon? Yeah, Ab- yeah, yeah, Aberg- yeah. Abergeonois. Yeah, right. the tall, tall white guy, right? Yeah, yeah. He was also in uh, Star Trek. Yeah. But he was 15, like 15 years in regional theater. That's right. Doing what we do, mm-hmm. living the life we live, and at some point said, I am going to make the leap to the next level. Samuel L. Jackson did the same thing. Now, I don't mean to take anything away from those people. They are talented, and America got to see that and recognize it, and that's wonderful. The illusion is that they're the only ones. The illusion is that nobody else where they came from was that. And if you saw, there's a beautiful film came out, I think, last year, Don't Think Twice. Is about the improv scene, and it's with um, uh, Key and Peele. And okay. Uh, not Key and Peele. It was uh, the taller, bald guy. Okay. Um, and, um, and Mike Biglia, I can never, and I apologize, I can never say his name correctly. Um, he wrote it and put it together, and it was about the improv group they were with. In the film, it's a fictionalized group, but it's where this popular Saturday night comedy show draws its talent from improvisational show oh, draws its talent you from know, I think I, I think I heard about this film it's a great film yeah, yeah it is really good and it shows you how that little tight group and I recognized I, I'm watching it and I'm like oh my god I have worked with these people I know this mm-hmm. there's the person the guy let's say who has that regular banking job and is not going to do anything to mess up his banking job but he's an amazing talent but he will only commit to what fits into his schedule. Mm-hmm. There's the crazy girl who's, you know, just not trying. She's trying to find herself, and she's exploring everything, drugs, sex, and everything, and she's going through. There's that other really talented woman, and you've seen that on Saturday Night Live a number of times, mm-hmm. these talented women who don't fit into anybody else's comfortable category, and they get to get there and show what they can do, and everybody's like, wow. I don't know why I'm interested in her, but I'm interested in her. They managed to pull all that together into this wonderful film where one guy gets it, and that almost destroys the group. Wow. And I'm like, I've been living that for like 20, 25 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And one shouldn't think, well, because one guy made it or the other person made it, they're, 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 t- they're far more superior than the others. I mm-hmm. mean, there are tons. I, I can't tell you how many times I've walked into a movie theater, and I'm like, why did they cast? Wha- who ever right. thought that person was right. talented? And you walk into a regional, you know, like the Exit Theater or yeah. Ashby Stage, and you see something fantastic. I'm like, wow, that's real talent. Right. Why isn't she or he right. up oh, there? Yeah. And, that's, and that's where we live. Yeah. So. That's, yeah, and that's, that's the nature of the business, I suppose. Um, yeah, it, 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 I, I think about that. It, it's like, uh, now I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, but, you'll uh, get it back. Here, yeah. train, here, train. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 I mean, it's no one should be discouraged. I mean, we were talking about success. And right. are you discouraged because you didn't, you know, Craig Sousa had a wonderful line last on the last podcast where mm-hmm. he said, you know, he, uh, a, a friend of his never wanted to um, – Love the job that he was in because I guess if you do it, you know, if you reach that successful level, oh, right. you lose the luster or, or what have you for, for some folks or what, what have you. And if you 
focus on that, you mm -hmm. can see all kinds of examples of it. People who go crazy because they've hit success and they don't know where that next success is. Life doesn't end when you hit success for right. most of us. Yeah. Well, there's also, yeah, and this is a thing, and uh, I was, there was an actress friend of mine, you know, brilliant, brilliant actress, um, and we, um, she, she had posted something about her frustration about um, being, uh, you know, not, not getting, uh, you know, scoring auditions lately, because mm -hmm. and, and because what had happened was that, you know, the previous year, she was on a hot streak. Right. And when you're on a hot streak, and I had this happen to me. Oh, yeah. Is you get this expectation that you're going to get this momentum yeah, right. yeah. going into, then it doesn't happen. It's like you get depressed. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with talent. It has nothing to it do doesn't. with that, oh, my God, I've lost well, it. Well, talent <coughs> is a part of the equation, but it's, mm -hmm. a, it's only one part of the equation. Well, sure. And there's I mean, so many other ones that yeah. you have you, no control you over. You have to have talent. But who's going to discover you? I mean, who's going right. to be in the movie theater? Who's going to be in the theater watching you? Who's looking right. to discover? And, I, and I'm the kind of guy, it's like I want, you know, I, 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 one of the things getting back to Joe Mantegna where he described acting as a blue-collar job. Right. Yeah. And I want that. I want to be the blue-collar guy who shows up on the set, on the stage, does the job, and then, you know, I go home and do whatever. You know? that's, and that's, I do feel... I mean, I've identified <coughs> that for a long time. I call myself a working-class theater artist mm -hmm. because I'm paying the bills. That's what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I have actually had to turn down some opportunities because it sounds like a wonderful opportunity on the artistic side, but this other opportunity I've got, which will satisfy me artistically, is going to pay five times as much. I yeah. can't take, you know, I remember being a young actor and talking to somebody who'd been out there. He was working all over the place, South Bay, everywhere. He was all on stages mm -hmm. everywhere. And we were trying to get the African-American Shakespeare Company going. So we're having all these meetings trying to mm -hmm. figure out what was going to be next. And I said, well, we got to do this and we got to do that. And he said, we got to get paid. <laughs> and right. I said, well, come on, dude, if somebody offered you Hamlet. And he went, well... How much are they paying? And I said, no, 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 it's not about that. Yes, it is. And Yeah, because I realize that now. I don't want to do it's Hamlet in your it's little it's ridiculous a... theater mm -hmm. where you don't know how to put things together. Because if you don't have the money for me, you also don't have the money for a bunch of other things. Right. And yep. unless you really have the vision to make it happen at that level, and companies like Ubuntu do, there's a small budget, but they make amazing things happen. And they support them. You feel nurtured. You feel loved. You feel appreciated. You feel respected. You need all of that to do that art. It's a job. You have to put in because you're putting in so many hours, particularly on something like Hamlet, for crying out loud. You know what? That's a Let hell of a lot of lines to memorize. Give me a tiny Plus contract. Give me a tiny contract and let me be the grave digger and I'll mm -hmm. be done. Right. Thank and, you. And here's the thing. You know, if you know you can't because you can't afford it, why even, why even have a theater company if, if, you, can't, if you can't do that? Well, that's where art and commerce are right. not always well, in sync. Well, then, then, you know, I mean, I, I'll do a few, like, pro bono things. But, the, the, again, it's like the, the logistics have to be really easy. Like, right. Like the, the voiceover thing that I did for this this kid in London. Right. Mm -hmm. In Britain. And, uh, you know, I was willing to do that because it's, it's like, yeah, that's going to get some views. That's going to get some attention. Mm -hmm. And I need, you know, I, I want more cartoon credits for my reel. Right. 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 I mean, when I was young, really, really young, just out of college, of course, I'm hungry. I, right. I, and I need right. the experience, and I need to fill up my resume. Mm -hmm. 
But, you know, as you get to a certain age, you got to say, hey, listen, I have value. Mm-hmm. You know, I right. have talent. I have value. And seriously, that, that's monetary value. So My time and talent are worth something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, we should, we should probably start moving towards an ending, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because yeah, it's it's getting it's getting uh, near eleven o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, uh, you know, getting back to um, well, something. Yeah, a musician friend of mine said he's a professional musician, plays classical music mm-hmm. for orchestras, and you know, why do composers compose? Because they have to. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Do you have any shout-outs? Um, couple. Mm-hmm. Um. One was um, somebody you know, Mary Alice Fry. Yes, lovely Mary Alice Fry. Uh, bumped into her on Bart the other night. What she did up to? We made a mistake. We were supposed to see the Rider Spring, which is this week. Oh my and God, we I love that. Thought it was last week, and so we rolled up there. That was really embarrassing. But then we ended up hanging out. We were in San Francisco, so we thought, go ahead and check it out. Mary Alice uh, Fry is somebody we know. She's a producer. She's an one artist. Of my regular, one of my regular clients. Uh, and she's doing and Footloose Presents is doing this world premiere of a play that opened <coughs> last week, and it's um, and it'll run for most of the month, Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays, at the Exit Theater, and it is called what yes. is it? What Intarnation? Um, and it's uh, what this says: a wi- world premiere of a hilarious, risque play that doesn't hold back about gay marriage. And um, yeah, so it was happy to bump into her. Um, really, a lot of things that I know about producing, I learned from Mary Alice Fry. Mm-hmm. So I got to give credit to that. And then there were a couple things that you had mentioned. So, Reg? oh, that I mentioned. Well, um, David Stein, uh, someone that we've all worked with. <laughs> Yeah, every time I think I know somebody, I'm like, I have to explain. It's like, no, 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 I know this guy. Okay, I got to remember. But no, we want to give him his props. He's been he's been out there working, and he is a wonderful actor and director. Yes, yeah, he directed me in Shots last month. Yeah, yeah, and I knew David Stein. Um, We did a Night's Escape that was at Eastenders thing a long, long time ago. That was the exact same time that we were talking about WWJD last um, the last last podcast. podcast. So, um, along with that, the way the EastEnders did, there were two productions that were run on at the same time, A Night's Escape, and he was in that. And I've also worked with him in the dark room for The Twilight Zone. In any case, he's a member of uh, Ragged Wing, and Ragged Wing is starting their spring campaign right? Um, for, I guess, next spring. And they're doing a fundraiser. So, um, I'm going to plug Ragged Wing. Um, David's been a part of uh, their group for uh, 10 years, mm-hmm. and um, he's had the privilege to write, perform, write, direct, and make art with an amazing group of artists. And um, so if you log on to raggedwing.org, R-A-G-G-E-D-W-I-N-G.org, and um, give a donation, or, you know, if you don't have money, give your time, um, or, you know, just share how uh, much you enjoy Ragged Wing. Uh, that'd be greatly appreciated for them. Ragged Wing is at the flight deck. It's couldn't be more accessible. Yeah. It is downtown Oakland. Mm-hmm. It is between Quick walk from, uh, from 12th, uh, Street 12th Street and 12th 19th Street. Street. Yeah, it is right. at 15th. It is That's where it's at. It's around the corner from mm-hmm. 15th. So it's right between 12th Street and 9th Street. If you go up the 
northernmost exit of 12th Street mm -hmm. or the southernmost exit of 19th Street, you are just a couple of blocks away from this gorgeous little space yeah. in downtown Oakland, and they've been doing a wonderful job of managing it. Yeah, I've, I've rehearsed there. Um, I think there's a woman named Cecilia Palmtank. If she's not there, she was there. She uh, worked at the flight deck. I think she was – she may have been a part of Ragged Wing, but it's a wonderful space. It's a wonderful company. Uh, they need donations, um, and it's a good way for you to contribute to theater. I performed twice there, a uh, musical oh, nice. cafe last year oh. and, uh, no, in 2015 mm -hmm. and uh, shots uh, last month. Very cool. Awesome. And they, they, you go to their site, they have, um, they have this incredible digital walkthrough okay. of the space oh. that's all stitched together and Seamless. Awesome. Nice. So you can take a tour of this virtual tour of the space like uh, never before. Oh, this is online? Online, yes. Oh cool. Very, very cool. So it's yeah, so go funny. To go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, go to yeah, go to the flight deck uh, mm -hmm. space, uh, you know, look it up on, on the computer. Flight deck. Yes. Uh, I think it's like flightdeck.org or something. I think like it that. is, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we're horrible about that. We throw out all these shout outs and sometimes <laughs> we have a complete information, sometimes mm -hmm. we don't. I guess we will have to wait till next time for the Bill Maher inward <laughs> controversy. God. Oh, that. Oh, yeah, and I'm yeah. sure there'll be some others. There's Bill Maher. Uh, there's another. Um, th there have been a bunch of them. I, I think Michael Richards. <laughs> well, well, that yeah, goes back, but no, Bill Maher just YouTube did it. YouTube on the map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but comedians, th they're having a hard time. Uh, oh, Stephen, yeah. Stephen Colbert. Cosby. <laughs> well, yeah. The Cosby, Cosby trial. I love Cosby. every time I yeah. get the update on that. <laughs> it's not going well. For him to have to admit, well, yeah, I, I, I did give her some pills. Yeah. But, like, whoa, 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 stop right there. God, I'm reminded of that uh, gunnery sergeant Hartman line of in, in, uh, in full metal jacket. What do we have here? A fucking comedian. <laughs> Private Joker. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, uh, and I have a lot of thoughts. I do want to plug that um, <coughs> I have another podcast, which is called Dude. Yes. Uh, with Rain Rohde, a uh, longtime uh, stage manager, a good mm -hmm. friend of mine, and uh, Lynn Skywalker. So uh, check out the Yay. Oh, of course, you're listening to the Yay now, but also check out Dude. Oh, Dude. I Dude, because the focus, or at least the next thing that you're looking at is talking to people who are immigrants. Yeah. Now, that's another one called I'm an American, too, and I'm going to launch that on Sunday. That oh, sounds wow. fantastic. Yeah. And basically, I'll be interviewing immigrants. Uh, I've, I have my first guest, a good friend of mine from China, um, who has lived here, and she has an amazing story about the reason why I'm doing this is because I want to focus on, you know, we talk about America and, you know, there are a lot of things going on in the Trump administration and there's a heavy um, – people are just looking down on Anti-immigrant, yeah. And uh, people need to understand what it takes to come into this country. Of course, you and I as Americans, as Americans, we don't right. know. A lot of stuff we is. take for granted. It, right. Tons of stuff we take for granted. But at the same time, it's like in this country, it's easier to go into business if you're dirt poor mm -hmm. than anywhere else in, in you know, it, like it, it, right. it's like yeah. if, if to go into business in Europe, you already have to be rich. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. And yeah. it's like really, really hard. And, and that's why we have immigrants who come here right. because – we preach this, you know, wonderful, um, you know, give us your tired, your poor, your humbled mass, mm. all of that stuff. Who knows if it has resonance even right now? So, you no, know, I loved, I loved seeing that you were doing this. I was like, that, that one may be one of the most significant things that needs to be talked about right now. Yeah. 
talking to the people who are actually living this experience. Mm -hmm. Let's get away from these stupid labels that are being thrown out there. Let's talk to real people about what they're experiencing. Exactly, and let them listen. You know, yeah. they're immigrants. They they don't sound like us. They don't look like us, but they're Americans too, mm -hmm. and that's why we. And that's why I'm doing it. Got it. So that will be uh, launching on Sunday. Then I have Dude on Saturday, and uh, you've been listening to the Yay. And I think we're going to wrap it up. All righty. We got to find a sign off. We got to find a sign off. One of these things we will. Yay. And we are out. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>